0: the studios of WMYU, this is In-Depth on Sports. I am your host, Ian Colalucci. Today is December 14, 2021. We're almost at the end of the year. It's hard to believe. You know, I've been doing the show for almost uh, two months now, and I've been so excited to just talk about, you know, what's been going on over the last few months, which has been so exciting, really. It's been such a great time to jump into sports. The end of 2021, lots of exciting baseball news, a competitive NFL season, some sports surprising starts from our NBA and NHL teams here in the New York metropolitan area, as well as some excellent college football, and even an exciting college basketball season that we're not even close to the you know the conference tournaments, and still a lot of big upsets going on. We're going to talk a little college basketball today, actually. Specifically, you know, some of the upsets that we've seen, uh, some of the surprising... Um, I know Villanova's 36-point performance against Baylor. We're going to talk about that a little bit. As well as, you know, the state of the MLB, where obviously we're going to go through some of the NFL stuff this weekend an interesting weekend in terms of how close the AFC playoff picture has become Uh, a lot of upsets there led us to now I would say even now in the middle of December we're at a point where there are I would say 12 teams really that are in it at this point and you know if I know the three wild card teams have been an issue for some people but even so you really have to just uh, think about how amazing it is that these teams are hanging on so quickly and are, are hanging on at this point in the season so really excited that we're gonna get into that a little bit obviously um, and of course you know in baseball still lockout um we're gonna unfortunately you know I wish I could say that there's a lot to say you know in terms of player and uh, uh, owner negotiations maybe some outside news you know beso- but besides the hall of fame ballot coming up in january uh that's it really um i know uh, justin verlander um his deal went through so now he is officially re-signing with the houston astros but besides that there is really nothing much to say in terms of Major League Baseball. And it's really sad. As I mentioned last week, I talked a little bit about why it's so crucial for Major League Baseball to continue to be, you know, relevant in the public eye. They have to continue to talk on, you know, their their social media platforms or ghost towns. It's so sad to see that a league that is in desperate need of reaching out to young fans that they've had this really this huge impediment for them in terms of their marketability. And I'm as a baseball fan. As a diehard baseball fan and Yankee fan, I am extremely concerned. So uh, we're going to touch on a little more baseball stuff at the end, but we're really going to focus more on the college game and definitely some NFL stuff. And, you know, it is um, we're going into week 15 now. And, you know, if you look at sort of the way things went down this week, um, I really well. First off, I want to talk about sort of the end of the the end of the slate on Sunday. You know, you were at, we were at a situation where you had two games going into overtime with significant playoff implications, specifically the game in Cincinnati and the game in Tampa Bay. Where you know, well, first I'm going to talk a little bit about the um, Bills Bucks game, and you know, it was 27 to 10 with 10 minutes to go in the game, and If anyone knows Tom Brady, if anyone, you know, obviously we've watched him over the last 20 years or so, he's good at holding on to leads. He is a determined, gritty quarterback that really, you know, is able to extend the lead at at a ridiculous point to a ridiculous point and can lead to significant blowouts. But this Buffalo team, in 10 minutes, Josh Allen... Quickly moving up and down the field, seventeen unanswered points to really solidify a surprise. They were outscored seventeen to three in the uh, in the fourth quarter. But kind of amazing to think of a team that, uh, like Buffalo, who's clearly skidding at the moment. They they had a significant loss to New England. Um, They um they looked lost against the Colts a couple of weeks ago and now you're at a point where if you keep losing um it really you know your playoff your playoff position seems scary and Buffalo was the favorite to win the east uh, the AFC East obviously and now it looks like New England's gonna run away with it it's it's shocking I mean I don't think anyone really was thinking that when we started the season but you know and now with this another loss Tom Brady you know doing his thing um a great just a beautiful pass at the end of the game Rashad Perriman, who uh, he hadn't had hadn't had any action throughout the entire game. Then he finds, you know, it was a one-on-one coverage. He m- moved over to the right side of the field and just broke away, and it was over. You saw there was no one there to stop him, and obviously, Tampa took the win. And now, you're at the point where, if one, if you're Buffalo, you really have to, well... First off, uh, next week's game against the Panthers is a must win, I think. You know, going out that you have to deal with the Patriots after Christmas on December 26th, two weeks from now, I mean, you got to figure that the game against the Panthers, who have been really struggling lately, um, you know, with, you know, they tried to bring in Cam Newton, but they benched him. And, you know, it, do- it just doesn't seem like he's going to be able to retain that, you know, where he was back about five, six years ago when he led the Panthers to Super Bowl 50. And, now buffalo is at a point where you have a must-win game against carolina and then a certainly a tough matchup against new england but then the real capitalization point comes in january when you have to deal with atlanta and the jets and if you're buffalo you're looking your chops because those two games should be gimme wins i mean the point spread on them is going to be pretty large i would god i gotta figure it's going to be I would say definitely double digits for the game against the Jets, but I would say eight or nine maybe against Atlanta. We don't know. We're a couple weeks from now. But I would figure that that's, those two are certainly, you know, they should be blowout wins. But the way that Buffalo's been playing, I'm concerned. I mean, it's it doesn't seem like... Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Don't get me wrong. He's definitely a top five quarterback in the NFL. Still, I'm definitely a firm believer in that. But I think now he's sort of realizing that when when guys get to him on the defensive side of the ball, you know, he's under a lot more pressure. I think teams are starting to realize that the blitz is effective against him, and it really showed. That really showed on their third downs uh, during this game. I mean, they were two for thirteen. I mean, it's really it really says something when. If the other team is so, Buffalo's third down efficiency was in the it was fifteen around fifteen percent, and New England's was at about fifty, and it really shows when your fourth down efficiency is better than your third down efficiency. I mean, it's a smaller sample size, sure, but that really conveys the sense of urgency that Buffalo has on the ball that they need to go for, go for it on fourth down more often because teams are more often blitzing Allen on third down and it's leading to more sacks allowed and obviously more punts. So, you know, uh, Buffalo's line is decent. It's not bad but, you know, now that teams are starting to expose it, Buffalo looks like a more mortal organization and a team like like the Buccaneers, who are certainly no stranger to success this season, are going to capitalize on that and they've shown that with their last four games. They've looked dominant against an Indianapolis team who has been pretty strong throughout the year uh, a Giants team who you never know with but I mean they blew them out 30-10 to 10. and a solid win over Atlanta two weeks ago or last week excuse me not you know December 5th. So we're going to have to see how that turns out with Tampa Bay. I know that they have a exclusive conference slate three out of their next four against interconference uh excuse me not interconference interdivisional rivals and one game against the Jets which should be a gimme game like Buffalo has two, but I'm thinking that it's one. What do we well, What do we know here from two things? One, Buffalo needs to pull out the win next week against Carolina. It's a must. And two, I think the A the uh, the NFC. Um when you have three teams that are 10-3, and three, and L.A., by the way, we're going to talk about the Monday night game in a little bit with a great win over Arizona. I really didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, but definitely going to be a lot to watch in the NFC picture in terms of who gets that number one seed. Because three teams at 10-3, and three, all of whom look relatively solid. I know uh, Arizona's loss recently puts them in a bit more of a difficult position, but when you have buffalo uh, Tampa Bay on a four game winning streak and green bay you know 6 and 0 at home i think definitely going to be interesting to see who gets the one seat but now i'm going to talk a little bit about that 49ers Bengals game there where again you're going to overtime this one lasted a little bit longer it looked like maybe a potential tie it's funny i always feel like the Bengals are always the recipient of a tie during the season it just i don't know if that's a consistent thing but it's just something i feel like they're always you know at the end of the year they're like oh they're 8-7 and 1 or 6 nine and one or something ridiculous um or excuse me uh yeah six nine and one but now with 18 games that'll be different but uh in this game you had sort of a battle between you know I think Jimmy Garoppolo does not get the respect he deserves. I think people have sort of forgotten how good the San Francisco team was two years ago. Now, it's not necessarily the same team. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, it's, uh, I mean, Nick Bosa didn't really have a huge game. I mean, he only had two, t- uh, two tackles, but, you know, two sacks, obviously, that's definitely big, but it's not necessarily that team, that same team that went up against Kansas City in the Super Bowl, but, just in terms of their success on the offensive side of the ball specifically, and how Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle have become the best, I would say, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey maybe, but definitely top two in terms of... Quarterback to tight end combinations. Kittle, 151 yards and a touchdown. He has been consistent throughout the entire season. Um, uh, I would say he was arguably the MVP of this game. Um, uh, In overtime, at least a couple catches, uh, you know, he looked I was just a monster performance. It was just fantastic to see how good he, how good Garoppolo was at feeding him the ball in tough third down spots, and it served them well when they got to overtime. And you know, on the other side, you have Joe Burrow, who's still looking to make a name for himself in the league. Definitely has waved off a lot of the bust feelings I think people had around him. You know, a lot of the recent number one overall picks in the NFL have not necessarily lived up to being number one picks. Excuse me. They've lived off to being, you know, first rounders that have been successful, but not necessarily big time stars. And Burrow is trying to put himself among the the uh, the top ten. I, I don't think you can put him in that category yet, but. He definitely fits into, you know, rising talent will definitely be in the league for years to come. And I think, you know, with the weapons he has around him, Joe Mixon, arguably uh, a fantastic producer, didn't even have that great of a game. And Burroughs stepped up. He found T. Higgins and Jamar Chase consistently throughout the entire game. Combined, those two had over 180 yards and two TDs, especially that beautiful pass to Jamar Chase late in the game uh, where he just kind of fed a looping pass into the end zone corner and Chase just stuck out his arms was right there for him beautiful play a veteran play by a quarterback who you know is coming into an organization that has been in shambles over the last few years i mean ever since i mean the best Andy Dalton, A.J. Green teams, the Bengals have not ne- have, you know, those teams made the wild card game and that was it. But now you're at the point where you're thinking about first round wins. And when you have such a young core with this Bengals team that is contending with these good teams like San Francisco and a definitely a very tough division. I mean, think about the AFC North for here. I mean, all teams in the AFC, all the teams in the AFC North are in it. They all four of them could easily have a stake in the playoff race, and you know now with Cincinnati on a two-game losing streak, they've come down a little bit off their pedestal. I still think they're a viable playoff contender, but I think this game alone may kill a little bit of that momentum. I still think it was a huge statement game for Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense, but there are a lot of things to think about in terms of you know where they are going forward in such a competitive division. I think the the AFC North. Has become wide open. I thought it was going to be Buffalo's, uh, excuse me, Baltimore's to run away with, but it has become a lot more surprising how close it's been. I think Cleveland has shown a lot more that they aren't just sort of a misshapen offensive-based team. I know they have Miles Garrett on the defensive side of the ball, but you know, having Mayfield uh, uh, run the offense has sort of been has has helped them pretty significantly over the last couple of weeks or so. It's been more offensively based to see how. Uh, uh, Cleveland has been successful, but we're going to have to see how that plays out, and I think it'll be interesting next week when you have a couple Saturday games in there. You have Cleveland going up against Las Vegas in a Saturday slate, and the New England Patriots going up against the Indianapolis Colts. This is, I think, the first week coming up next week where the early window of games the thursday night game and two saturday games are way more enticing and exciting than anything else on the schedule besides i'll make an exception besides the green bay baltimore game next sunday which i'm really excited to see you know this is i would say two well green bay certainly a super bowl contending favorite i would say and baltimore looking to establish a some sort of consistent run i mean We hope Lamar Jackson's going to be out there, but if he's not, obviously it ruins the importance of the game. I think Green will run away with it in that sense. But if Lamar is going to play, and I think John Harbaugh said he's planning on having him start, if he does, this is two teams that have Super Bowl aspirations. And I'm really excited to see how, one, it's going to impact the AFC North because a Baltimore win— puts them in a position where it's going to be pretty tough for a team like Cincinnati, Cleveland, or Pittsburgh even to have a chance in catching them to get one of those top four playoff spots. But also in terms of if Baltimore loses, you could potentially have a situation coming up on Christmas where all four teams in the AFC North are within one game of one another coming up on interdivisional matchups in those last couple of weeks of the season. I think... It's going to be – I know that we're going to have the uh, – I'm sure there will be games where it's going to be like, oh, you know, these blue blood organizations going up against one another that we're going to be excited about. But I think games like Ravens-Bangles two weeks from now or, um, or uh, Pittsburgh going up against Cleveland three weeks from now, those are games there where I think those are going to have the most significant playoff implications. I think those are the games that people are going to have to watch to determine whether or not, you know – a team like Baltimore is a three seed or a six or a five seed. Or if the Browns can squeak into that seven seed or even Pittsburgh could squeak into that seven seed we're gonna have to see but a- the AFC North most exciting division in football right now I would say maybe bar none I think maybe you could argue that the um uh, the AFC the NFC West is you know just in terms of how the Cardinals and Rams are duking it out and even San Francisco sneaking in there a little bit I think that makes it a little more exciting but AFC North I would say bar none Best division right now to watch in the the NFL right now. So going to be exciting to see how that goes. But I want to turn my attention now to the Monday night game where you had a Rams team that needed to make a statement. They were slipping a little bit. They got off to a really hot start. Matthew Stafford really showcasing you know really flourishing blooming whatever you want to call it outside of the lions organization proving to be a fantastic quarterback now with great weapons like cooper cup and now odell beckham who looked pretty solid against arizona a great a great team or best record in the nfc up until that point he has 77 yards for a touchdown cooper cup doing his thing 120 in a touchdown and a young guy like van jefferson who has one been a i would recommend a great fantasy pickup for anyone who Needs a good flex option out there. But two catches for 29 yards a catch and a touchdown, three uh, three touchdowns for Stafford. Uh, Sony Michel, uh, great establishment of the running game. They look like a coherent team that could be successful in the postseason. And, you know, you had L.A. win by seven. But I think Kyler Murray knows his two picks were really the sort of the turning point in the game. I think, you know, Arizona can outplay them on the offensive side, can outplay any it. Uh, team for that matter on the offensive of side of the ball, they had 447 total yards. Um, you know, consistent on third down, uh, established the running game, six yards of play. They looked great and. You know, with I always feel like when I'm, like, picking games or doing a pick or whatever, I feel like teams who need victories generally get those victories, and that's what L.A. proved today. They proved they were able to outrun or oh, not outrun, but outperform Arizona in the second and third quarter. I think the third quarter was where uh, I think L.A. proved it this was their game i mean 14 unanswered points after arizona kept it close you know you had a 13 13 game going into halftime and then uh the rams coming out very strong on the offensive side of the ball um you know also two picks leonard floyd and ernest jones pretty solid on that side there too uh but i would say at this point in the nfl season this is the most excited i've been you know you have in A- As I said, in AFC North, very exciting to see how you could potentially have three teams from that division in the playoffs. You could potentially have three NFC West teams in the playoffs, but... Definitely. NFL. Wow. I, I'm just I'm so surprised to see how this has not been sort of what we expected going in at the beginning of the season, which was, you know, teams running their divisions and maybe a good wild card race. But no, you have, I would say, every seat up for grabs in both conferences right now. And I'm really excited to see that. And you know, some of the things I've noticed, just who's established themselves really, uh, Breakout season for Micah Parsons, really. I mean, you know, Dallas, I think, has the NFC East, but I think in the last few weeks or so, he has proved to be one of the best defensive players in the NFL. And this is his first year in the league. I know the a- the NFC East is not necessarily a competitive division, but he's the best defensive player in the NFC East. I would say that's a pretty... I think that's an accurate statement because, you know, when you have someone who's young coming out of Penn State, a good, you know, a pretty solid college organization and just exerting his dominance so easily at such a young age. I think there's the sky's the limit for him. And it sort of reminds me to how when Aaron Donald came into the Rams organization as that mid, you know, that first round pick that people were excited about, but didn't necessarily know if their college skills would translate to the NFL and then just came in and absolutely dominated Parsons has put himself in that exact same position. He is in a great spot. He has got an organization that's going to have playoff experience. I would say every year, I don't know if the Eagles Redskins or excuse me, the Washington football team or the Giants um will even have any resemblance to catch the Cowboys within the next few years or so so Parsons is going to get that playoff experience he's going to be on a team that can back him up on the offensive side of the ball so it doesn't necessarily you know put all the pressure on the defensive side but Parsons definitely rookie of the year I don't know if he's moved ahead of Mac Jones but I would say maybe the favorite now we'll see uh but yeah Micah Parsons just stunning the league uh but gonna be excited to see but now I want to turn my attention now to well a little bit we're gonna do a little college we're gonna talk college basketball because we didn't get to it last time uh and we talked a little bit with Spencer Pierce a couple weeks ago on his thoughts on Syracuse basketball as well as the positioning of you know in the ACC what we're gonna look at but you know I mentioned earlier at the top of the show Villanova scoring just 36 points against the Baylor who and now is the one uh, is the uh, is the, uh, the top spot in the AP poll, but I've always felt that when a team scores under forty points in the regular season, they have to be well. One, they definitely have to be dominant on the defensive side, but two, you also have to be in a position where, um, you know, let, oh, I'm going to give you an example. Let's look at Virginia from a couple of years ago. You know, if you remember a couple of their first round NCAA tournament appearances, they scored maybe mid-40s, 50s, and they were ma- they managed to be so successful on the defensive side of the ball that they could move forward and beat lower-seeded teams. But if you're Villanova and you're not supposed to be a defensive-oriented organization, you're supposed to be led by Gillespie to dominate Big East opponents, and we haven't necessarily seen that from Nova. I mean, granted, don't get me wrong they've had an extremely tough schedule you have ucla purdue tennessee and now baylor all four in the month of november and december plus a pretty tough Big biggie schedule going up against xavier seton hall um uh uconn all of whom are going to be in it this year and to have to go up against, I would say, some of the favorites to win the national championship early in the season, very tough to deal with. And it's one of the reasons why they're still number nine, despite their record. I mean, they're seven and three right now. Um, you know, it's. I wouldn't say that speaks to how good their organization is. I feel like early college basketball standings are just reflective of strength of schedule. Um, But, you know, Villanova, the scoring, I mean, 77 against UCLA, 71 against Tennessee, 74 against Purdue. You're thinking, okay, this sort of speaks to a pretty solid offense, but they're going to be a balanced team. Not necessarily an up-tempo club looking to sort of force fast breaks. But now when you're going up against Baylor, a pretty solid defensive team, still uh no Davion Mitchell, and now it's a revamped Baylor organization, but still a pretty similar, um a pretty similar Villanova offense over the last year or two. And Gillespie scores six points, six points in thirty-seven minutes. And you know, even though it's such a good Baylor team, I mean they won the national championship. You can't argue that. Um, it's not. It's very. It's not ideal. I mean, this is. This is. If I'm a Nova fan, I'm one. I'm happy that they got to play these teams early in the season, just you know, to give them sort of these big tests going into Big East conference play. But I'm concerned that they're because the Big East is such a defensively based conference. I feel like a lot of. These teams aren't have they aren't high scoring organizations. They are they're teams that bring strength on the defensive side of the ball, and it's been that way over the course of their history. But definitely gonna be a lot to uh, I'm interested to see one how Nova approaches conference play and if they're gonna run away with um with the best conference record, and obviously that's gonna determine their seating in the tournament. So we're gonna have to see. But uh just in terms of how Nova's playing, but I'm also thinking that we gotta look at Purdue a little bit. Um, Purdue, you know, when you're a Big Ten team, their schedule is not going to be strong. Um, you know, you have, uh, I would say, what, 15, 20, 15, 20 games left before we get into the conference tournaments and the playoffs. Um, uh, and I mean, they've, they're off to a great start. They're no longer the number one seed. They're now, um, they're now three. Um, and, you know, when you have Michigan State and Ohio State sort of, they're there um, but and you know what but if you look at their schedule there's one notable thing I see here they don't play them and they only play them once on February 26th I mean you have Ohio State you have Michigan State they're gonna have to go up against each of them once but all the other teams in the big 10 are unranked it really this is going to be a Purdue team that you could see going into the tournament with a 29 and one record or a 28 and one record or something ridiculous where you know it's gonna really when you when people pick their brackets when we get into that point in the year um it's going to sort of people are going to stop and look at that strength of schedule and it may shy them away from taking them into a deep run in the tournament. I think this is a year where prestige, you know, teams in the ACC like Duke who um you know, they've started out 7 and 1, they're off to a pretty solid start um, you know, UNC 7 and 2. I think this is a year where the blue blood organizations will make a statement again. They really, you know, you had Gonzaga in there in the final four and UCLA in there in the final four, but you also had Baylor in there who really up until recent years hasn't really shown any, you know, remarkable success in the tournament. But, you know, when you have Duke, UNC, um Texas, um Michigan State, for that matter, all these teams, Kansas, all these teams that have come in really didn't have that sort of remarkable performance that everyone was expecting last year, and they sort of came into the tournament a little weaker, they had... eh, performances they weren't really these great you know what we were expecting i think this is the year the blue bloods make a statement again this is a revamped season that doesn't necessarily have all these restrictions going into it you have a position where teams, as I mentioned, like Duke or UNC or whatever, can make a statement, whereas last year they were sort of thrown to the side. I mean, there was at one point where people were questioning whether or not Duke was even going to make the tournament. And if you look at bracketology now, I know it's it's very early. I mean, it's December. We don't really know how things are going to shake up. But if you look at it now, Baylor is the top overall seed. But if you look around, you have Wisconsin in there. You have Duke as a one seed again. You have uh you have Gonzaga as a 1 seed you have uh UCLA as a 2 Kentucky back in there as a 3 I mean this is the sort of tournament we're accustomed to seeing and you know I think it, this year it's very I think the Big 12 the SEC Big East the these are the conferences that are going to be the most represented in the tournament as we get later on in the season but when I look at the bracket or when I see sort of what is going to happen with the bracket, these are the kinds of teams that I expect to be in it. If you had asked me five years ago, who are the teams that always make the NCAA tournament, this is going to be that kind of year again. And I think it's going to be a more so predictable tournament, not necessarily tons of upsets that we see in that, you know, we're always going to have those 12 fives. We're always going to have those 11 sixes. But when we get down to the final four, I think it's going to be one seeds and two seeds. This is not a Loyola Chicago kind of year this is not a South Carolina a couple years ago kind of year this is not a Xavier as an 11 seed kind of year this is a year where the Blue Bloods are sort of been they've been cast away by the media anyone sort of believes that they aren't necessarily going to make these big runs and I think they will I think you know when you have a Baylor team that is that has been successful in every sense of the word they're undefeated they've beat michigan state they've beat uh arizona state they beat villanova and now they're going up uh on friday a a game against oregon and then they go into some conference play and you know i know iowa state's 10 and 0 i think uh but i don't know if they're going to maintain that i think uh they they are on 11 right now i think they're more suited for a three or a four seed as we get towards the end i don't know if they're going to maintain that success when we get to conference play but it seemed like baylor you know they don't necessarily have a really tough schedule until the uh till we get to um the end of january and february where it gets really tough you have alabama kansas texas and texas tech all in the span of a month which is really going to test them but you know you have lj crier who's shown uh, who's been pretty strong he leads the team in points over 50 percent from the field um definitely going to be interesting to see how that goes and then one thing I also want to mention is Gonzaga a little bit because, you know, we everyone considers them as a sort of like one of the best teams in college basketball. It makes sense. They've had success. They've had, you know, they've maintained a lot of their stars. Um, They've had good, good recruits come in. I mean, Gonzaga, everyone th- sort of thinks of it as sort of like, oh, they're in a weak conference. They're not necessarily going to be successful. And, you know, they've maintained in every essence of the word, despite having weak conference schedules every year and a very tough opening part of the schedule. They always maintain success over the last ten or fifteen years ago. I mean Chet Holm coming in, supposedly going to, I would say gonna be the X factor in the NCAA tournament. And you have your returning star in Drew Timmy, who has been Pretty solid this season. I mean, you know, uh, 18 a game, six rebounds, uh, almost 60% from the field. I mean, it's been great to see how, uh, over 60% from the field, excuse me. It's been great to see how he's been able to maintain his confidence in terms of points. I mean, 18 against UCLA, 17 against Duke, 23 against an Alabama team, which is, I think, severely underrated because of their SEC schedule. But when you have a Gonzaga team that is... One has a young star and an established veteran. They look to be the team that is most primed to, I think, make the Final Four again this year. I think, you know, leaving... um you know when you had, um, you know the big the buzzer beater obviously um, uh, in last year's tournament against UCLA. Um, that was sort of the moment where people thought if you picked Gonzaga, okay, it was over. But then Baylor blew them out in the national championship game, uh, and you know when Jalen Suggs hit that game-winning shot against UCLA, it was it was the moment of the tournament by far and it's sort of sent Gonzaga i think to another level in terms of both fan recognition and the way that they are just presented in in the media as this is a team despite having i would say their best conference opponent is either San Francisco or St Mary's and they are a team to beat always 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 and I think they are, along with Baylor, I think the Blue Bloods will run the tournament this year. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how conference play goes this year because you have, I would say, every team in the top 15 I would say you could have, I would say at least half of them either go outside the top 25, but then also half of them completely rise to the top. So definitely going to be a lot to focus on there. But we have a guest to get to. It's going to be Jeff Mole this week. I had fans, to mentioned him at the beginning of the show, but he's discussing sports marketing with us. And we're actually going to get into a little bit of, one, his background as we usually do with his guests, but how a lot of the decisions in his early life, specifically, uh, you know, as a Duke fan, which we mentioned a little bit earlier before, how his experiences as a young fan fan influenced him and why he wanted to pursue the career he did so we're gonna get into that in depth on sports we'll be right back welcome back to the show everybody and this week i am joined by a professor of mine he works in senior management at 160 over 90 works with the new york knicks my professor of sports marketing mr jeff mole jeff how are you doing today my friend i'm good i like the energy i like this so I'm really excited to talk to you today because I really want to dive into some of the unique things you're seeing in the sports marketing industry. You know, it's been a hectic last couple of few years and I really want to go into some of the changes you've seen as well as, you know, how your background has influenced some of the decisions that you've been making. So, first I want to start off, you know, discussing just the background a little bit. Why don't you tell me a little bit, uh, you know, about where you grew up and sort of what you watched as a kid that made you sort of really interested going into sports
1: Sure Yeah so I'm born and raised here in New York City Which actually is not as common as you think Every time you say that they're like Oh wait you're actually from here But yeah I'm born and raised here Went to school in the Bronx Uh, Went to University of Wisconsin Because I knew I wanted to do something Be somewhere different Wanted to go to that big football school But always Mm -hmm. knew I was going to come back here Mm -hmm. Um, Start my dad was a sports fan My dad went to NYU Um, And he had all of his teams I liked his teams And he wasn't a college basketball fan Mm -hmm as no, no offense, but NYU just was not this basketball prowess. Right, although actually right. when he was here, they were. Mm. Um, so, it was the first sports decision I made on my own, and I'm 10 years old. It's 1990. I start watching Duke, and they win, and I think I'm a genius, but I just, you know, I'm watching what <laughs> else is watching. So I got very, very attached to that, and it felt like I made this, like, you know, you, you whatever you're, you, know, you when you get into when you're really young, it's, it stays with you, and, and mm. I just really got into that, and um, obviously all the local sports. Now, so all. this Was was this the Duke
0: team back in the 90s with Christian Leitner back then? then?
1: Leitner and Hurley, Hill and. Just, uh, yeah, that got me. That, that was the the one thing where I was like, okay, this is mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a lot more
0: original than I right. than I probably was, but it felt like I was original right. and I discovered this team. So you grew up with Duke, and you grew up in New York City. Interesting combination there, but, you know, so, okay, so you just graduated from Wisconsin. You're getting into the field. What was that first job that you really pushed yourself to get into? Yeah, I mean, it was...
1: Really difficult, really terrifying trying to get into sports. It was so overwhelming. You know, now there's LinkedIn, now there's... Websites, there's definitely you can connect with people in some way, shape, or form. Um, but back then, I mean, I don't want to date myself too much, but there weren't, you know, basically if you wanted to apply somewhere, you you, you did a, you actually had a mail, like a snail mail, mm-hmm. a resume and a cover letter, and maybe you'd get a response. Most likely, you didn't. Um, and you, you just think, like, okay, I got to work for the Knicks, I got to work for the Mets. This is all I know about. Um, but I had Googled New York City and sports, mm-hmm. and the New York City Sports Commission came up, right. and there was an actual phone number which I had never seen before, and I'm like okay I just need to speak to a human being Mm -hmm. I just need to like I just need to pick someone's brain I have no idea what to do Mm -hmm. Um, so the guy very generously let me come in he was the deputy commissioner Um, he told me what they did and I was like wait this is this sounds awesome I want to do this um, and he's like well we don't have any internships This is winter break And I'm like doesn't matter I'll take it Like let me just come in here I just I gotta tell my dad I'm doing something Otherwise he'll he'll make me you know he, I just can't sit at home mm-hmm. So I came in the first day He said okay you can send some uh, greeting cards Or we were switching they were switching offices So I literally licked envelopes for three days They said okay you're done after three days Monday came around I was like My dad was like Just go in What do you have to lose So I went in Just kept showing up And literally showed up For the next two months um, And left about 16 years later Wow It's
0: amazing how You chose To step in the door on Monday I mean you could have decided not to Yet you were persistent You stayed there And 16 years later Here you are And Do you think that if you hadn't came in on that Monday, do you think your career would be entirely different?
1: Um, I think so. I think I would have had them as like a reference to like maybe like point me in the right direction at least. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I wouldn't have had because I didn't work that next summer. And then I worked there for a full year unpaid after college while looking for a paid job. Right. Um, They ended up hiring me after a year. But um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know if that opportunity to play this like sliding doors thing, whether yeah. that would have, if I would have ended up somewhere mm-hmm. or gotten that experience or been allowed to, to sort of grow or, or get that other
0: chance. Mm-hmm. You never know. It's amazing how these, especially in the sports industry, it's amazing how these small decisions yeah. can have such a big impact. And, okay, so 16 years, New York City Sports Commission. Where, what are you most excited about now about what you're doing? What's your position now? Why don't you talk a little bit about
1: that? Sure. So now I'm at 160 over 90, um, which is part of Endeavor. And I'm doing strategy for draft kings okay. which is just trying to take over the world and you know get as many states as humanly possible it's this race for all these companies sure again we're talking about things that like literally didn't exist like five years ago right. like you know now all these states are coming online new york's gonna come online first or soon i should say and it is just trying to catch up and keep up and trying to be creative and trying to be smart about you know this this incredibly fast-moving industry and trying to be like, okay, where should they go? Why should they go there? Mm-hmm. And every single day it changes. Today alone, two things have, you know, partnerships or announcements have been made, mm-hmm. and it's just like every day you have no idea what's going to happen, and I, I sort of like that. It's terrifying, but I also sort of like it because it hasn't gotten boring.
0: Well, uh, certainly in terms of sports betting, I know just as a casual fan, if you turn on the TV, yeah. you will be exposed to any kind of promotional offer, all sorts of things like that. Do you think just in terms of sports betting do you think that there's an overexposure to a sense do you think that you know younger people who are tuning into the NBA finals and see this idea where if I give $100 to a company that they're going to give $100 back to me in order to you know bet on their games do you think that's ethical what are, what are your thoughts on that I mean as
1: far as well as overexposure I happen to think honestly there is I mean right now it's just everywhere and I mean everywhere where it's just like you can't watch or do anything without seeing multiple commercials just bombarding you. And I think um, in Europe, you've actually seen where they've actually limited, um, you know, got to the point where the government stepped in and had to limit it. Um, I don't think it will get to that stage here, but I do think there's a certain point where, again, they're just trying to get new markets, so they're being super aggressive. But, um, you know, there is a point where people are like, I'm just tired of hearing about this, so you got to be smarter about it. And that's right. what I'm trying to help do, is trying to be like, hey, how can we strategically do it as opposed to just doing everything all the time mm-hmm. um and from an ethical standpoint you know i mean that's a much larger complicated question yeah. um you know it is betting has always existed sure. and always oh, sort of, course. of, of will of now course. it's at
0: least regulated mm-hmm. there's no like um well i'm sure there's still you know I mean, sure there's ways yeah. to get around it but yeah. i was thinking like in terms of graph kings themselves do you think they're thinking about that as well i know you certainly have yeah. to but do you think in your partnership, do you think DraftKings has to think about that? Yeah, I mean everybody is right. Mm-hmm. I
1: mean everyone's aware of what it is. Everyone's aware that it can't go 100 you know 100 miles per hour all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of, of thinking of that in the industry, um, and it, that's that's our whole goal is like how to do it smarter and not just like you know at this rate everyone's just going to sort of. Mm-hmm. you know, just is spending and trying to get their attention out there because okay. this is new and everyone's competing for the same people uh, but it will
0: slow down. I mean, this is mm-hmm. not sustainable. Do you, do you think that um, I know there's tons of different companies out there, you know, there's William Hill, Caesars, whatever you want to say. Do you think that they're all going to consolidate at one point? Do you think that 10, 15 years down the road, do we see that sort of idea where there's one company everybody goes to or do you think it's going to stay like uh, this for the time being? It
1: definitely won't be one company but it won't be now. There's a lot of smaller companies that have their mm-hmm. have their niche or have their area so i mean i do think it will consolidate more but you're still going to have
0: mm-hmm. you know a, a few big big brands mm-hmm. out there so definitely going to be looking to see how that transfixes in the near future. I know there's a lot of questions with that, but I'm going to go back a little bit now to your time with the Knicks. And, you know, you started uh, now, talk a little, well, first I want to know, where did you start? Were you on the ground floor? Was this, were you interacting with people? Just talk a little bit about your experience.
1: Like, literally, when you say you start on the ground floor, like, I started at the guy, like, outside of the escalators, mm-hmm. like, did not have a credential to actually go inside <laughs> or go up set escalators. Um, and similar to my uh, Sports Commission where I like didn't have something Like a friend's sister Met somebody and I was just like Listen I will show up I will work for free Came in I'm already working for free mm-hmm. At uh, at Sports Commission mm-hmm. and I'm now going to grad school at NYU right. um, I'm like listen let me just whatever you need If you need someone on last notice like I don't need any Money let me just come in mm-hmm. and he was like we don't Really do that um, <sighs> Like just, just come you know so of course I got a phone call Being like here can you come in tonight and like Yes I can literally handing out Passport Holders at the bottom of the thing, mm-hmm. but when I was done with that job, there was a guy that was helping me, and he had a real credential. I'm like, "Here, what, what do you? Can I help out with anything in there?" So every, you know, they, they asked me to come back on, a, you know, as, as they needed people um, as a last minute replacement, and I just sort of followed this guy, I picked his brain, I followed him around, and said, like, "Okay, here, come with me. This is why I do this. This is how I do this." Right, um, and. You know, everybody else was an intern, so their internship ended. But since I wasn't an intern, right. there was nothing stopping me. And I wasn't. And eventually, they did pay me whatever sure. thirty dollars. Um, but I was like, okay, what else can you do, or what else happens? Why, why do you do the contest like this? Um, so I ended up doing it for seven seasons, and obviously my role grew um, throughout. And as you get more comfortable, and you start like right. being proactive and being like, okay, everyone keeps messing up the tic tac toe contest on the center court. Like, why don't we practice it back there? So we practice it, right? And or you, you just try to look at smaller things like, okay. Is this, is this sponsor doing this? Mm-hmm. Is this how they should be doing it? Or like, you know, almost as an outsider, someone that wasn't as part of this was, you know, um, yeah. and I loved it. You know, you get, you get to be a part of it. You get to see how a team works. You get to see how sponsorship oh, yeah. works. You get to see the pregame practices. You get to see these glimpses of something that no one
0: else gets to see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you're like, this is awesome. This is, you know, when you, it's interesting, every, every experience you've described so far, it seems like it was all about, one, getting your foot in the door, obviously, yeah. but you were willing to work for free multiple yeah. times. I know that doesn't really happen anymore, but do you think that sort of passion and drive that you had, do you think that people really still value that when they're hiring people out there or young people like that? I
1: do. And again, without sounding like this like old man, I think <laughs> right now like there's this there's a different mentality now of like instantaneous gratification where it's like, uh, I've been here a year and a half, like where's my promotion? Oh really? yeah. Um and that's just like again, you know, where it's just like, or people saying, here, I'm willing to do anything. And then there are people willing to do anything. Like, I've, you know, now it is hard to actually work for free because there's actually laws preventing <laughs> that. Yeah, that's which true. Which I think actually hurts people, like, then, you know, people like me would not exist. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think there's something to be said of, like, being just, like, here, let me just figure out what I need to do. Okay. And then, like, let me watch and be genuine. And, like, again, it's getting your foot in the door is only
0: half the battle. Big learning experience, yeah. it seems like. You seem to, you know, every, again, every experience you described. you were asking people lots of questions. You always seemed to take something away from every experience you had. And I want to know sort of now when you're going into 160 over 90, this partnership with DraftKings. Do you think those experiences molded you to become the way that you've been successful now? Do you think that, you know, maybe these, you know, ground floor experiences where you're handing out passport holders? Do you think that that really solidified who you were as a person and as, you know, an, an employee. Sure. Yeah, I mean, again,
1: you don't take anything for granted, but you understand, like, it's really important to understand, like, every aspect, even if you do move up the ladder, like, understanding what happened, you know, from the ground floor. But also, um, like, when I started the sports commission, you know, I ended up being the head of the host committee for the Super Bowl That's and right. World yes. Cup bid committee and all these really cool, awesome things. Mm-hmm. But again, that happened much later. Originally, I started with this high school sports platform called the NYC Mayor's Cup which we created from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I made a lot of mistakes when I learned social media, which mm-hmm. is a skill which I'm so glad I learned. Um, and I learned all of these things that I was able to apply to these massive events mm-hmm. and try and fail. And, like, we did it on a smaller scale. So we tried things that worked. Some things didn't work. You know, up there putting out the signs and doing all the physical stuff and that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I would have been able to do these much larger things without, you know, figuring out some system that, mm-hmm. that me and the super small team had of I being see. able to do things with a small team. So um, even though we're Endeavor and, you know, working with Dread Kings, it's still pretty small here. So okay. it's like, you know, it's, it's this style of trying to, like, do the small menial tasks. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll do the research and I'll do everything. and gotcha. big strategy. Mm-hmm. But, like, I still have that mentality, and that's the only way a small team works.
0: Well, definitely – seems like those you had tons of experiences i mean it's amazing to see how you know from what when, when was that first job that when uh, new york city starts when so when did you start what year was that
1: december my winter break of my junior year before i went abroad so december
0: of 2020 jeez yeah. so it's definitely definitely a lot of yeah. things have happened in the last even just in the last year or so yeah. pretty remarkable but uh, as we wrap up here a little bit, I want to dive into a lot of the future of sports marketing. And I want to talk a little bit about, well, you can use you know, your partnership at DraftKings as maybe you know a starting point, but where do you think, both when it's partnerships with players or organizations, where do you think the industry is looking to because I know for a fact that pandemic, the pandemic or whatever you want to call it has changed the way people consume sports. Do you think that this will have, A, a long-term effect, and B, where do you see sort of the changes happening in your partnership or DraftKings or wherever else?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the unfortunate reality of COVID was, you know, when people realize that they can live without something or, you know, like, okay, I'm so used to going to game and then, you know, things happen and I don't go for two years it becomes less of a top of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the second I could go to that next playoff game, I did last June, uh, but I haven't been since. And that's very strange for me. You know, like normally I would go, but, you know, now you're risking, you know, there's, there's this risk. Lots of things to, yeah, lots things to think about. Yeah, lot of things to think about. But yeah, I mean, I think there is this shift to Online and shifting people like Okay if you're not going to come then Watch stream or You know watch these other platforms And ESPN created a, a betting platform I mean a, a betting channel um, yes. And so there's a whole other way Even if I'm not interested in that if uh, Even if we're watching Monday Night Football I can now watch the Manning Brothers yes. Just talk about nothingness and it's <laughs> awesome yeah um, So it's it's made them be creative Realizing like okay here let's get all these Different types of people let's bring in the Die hard fans bring in the sports better um, but you, there's so many channels, so it's good yeah. that there's a multiple channels. But it's also tough because you really need to figure out how to reach, you know, talk about with like social media and all these platforms, and you know, it's, it's not possible to post 50 things on 50 channels all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the biggest change that sort of happened is being able to, to realize social media and reaching people, um, and then getting them to do certain things from there, mm-hmm. whether it's come to your event um, or watching or signing up for. Some channel or doing something else that
0: they wouldn't normally do, um, you know. Prior to that, are you worried about the industry? I think, you know, traditional ways, you know, whether it's cable or whatever, you know, there's ratings, things that people always, you know, blow out of proportion. But are you worried about the sports industry as a whole, marketing to younger people? Do you think that there's a gap out there that that you might be worried about? No, I mean, really? I think you have to like
1: be. You know, you have to be like, if I were just working for like MLB or sure. them, but like the fact that soccer is, you know, soccer is overtaking baseball, America, yes. at
0: least with the younger demographic. It's sad right? to say, from my perspective, yeah. it's sad to say, but go on. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know,
1: I think whatever the sports are, I mean, you can, you know, NBC is killing it right now with, uh, you know, Premier League and just the numbers they're getting and young people getting it. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's not like young sports fans went away. They just went away from like traditionally what we would watch or I would watch. Um, you're, you're probably still figure, fitting under the younger demographic, yeah. um, or esports, mm-hmm. or you know, they're, they're, they didn't stop doing things. They just stopped doing the big, you know, watching the big four on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a matter of like, we now have to go out and find them, where they are, right. how to find them, um, how to reach them. If we're, you know, DraftKings, if we're trying to reach this an older demographic, mm-hmm. we're going to do something different than if we're trying to reach the 23 year old. Okay. Um, so it's just, you know, it's finding them. But yeah, I mean, listen, if you would have told me that the contracts that are being offered for big baseball right before a strike were going to happen, if you would have told me that Max Scherzer's contract was going to be offered mm-hmm. a month ago, I'd say you're absolutely crazy if right. this podcast happened then. I'd be like, no way. Like People are going to be you know, like, things, numbers might go down. But like, it just shows you that they're just like, here, we're just, we're just getting our house in order when mm-hmm. it comes back. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's some insane, higher than ever, those, those mm-hmm. numbers
0: were. Now, I noticed that the, um, the broadcast deals, you know, a lot of them got renewed. They're still very high in terms of, you know, the proposed revenue. I know the NFL's was record numbers for their new partnerships. Even I know the NHL, their new deal with ESPN, very high. And, you know, you mentioned how, you know, that younger people aren't watching sports in those traditional ways. Do you think that that sort of... Does that not affect them? Do you think that they're just willing to just throw the money at it? Or, you know, you said the big contracts in baseball. Baseball's having lots of issues, yet you still see Max Scherzer getting $150 from Steve Cohen. Do you think that both in marketing, is that changing? Or what what do you see? What are the reasons behind that, do you think?
1: So it's not that they, like, so... The, let's use the example of like the the Premier League mm-hmm. and just re-signed with NBC for these like, insanely high numbers, mm-hmm. like double what it was before. And then you have other companies throwing in hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but like, so you're not just throwing it at a traditional TV commercial, right? Right. You are now throwing like you now. They might not be watching it on NBC. They are now watching it on their phones, or mm-hmm. they are watching streaming on their computer or through some device. Mm-hmm. So all you're doing is diverse. You know, if if you're selling to a sponsor, you're like, listen. It's not all. It's not as simple as this, where you just make a TV contract, you know, a TV ad. Now you're like, here, let's work it into like pop-up ads and all these things. So you just have to be creative. But like, mm-hmm. they're watching. They're just not watching it on cable TV. Mm-hmm. But you know, all of these things all have apps now, right? NBC oh, has an app. Oh, yeah. Fox has an app. Yep. Fox has a bet. You know, has a. Oh, spending they, they, they
0: diversify all their assets. Right.
1: So that's all it is. Is that they're just not watching in the same place. So as as, as easy as life was a few years ago, it's like, oh, you want to watch the NFL? Great. NBC, ABC uh, has Monday Night Football um, CBS has this and Fox has this right. now it's like you have a lot more options mm-hmm. but like you're also it's not as easy
0: for you to reach your brand you have to diversify as a brand so it just seems like they're incorporating more things into these contracts it seems like yeah. uh, well it's you know i'm a little old school you know i've always i watched you know i've watched cable sports on yes or msg my entire life and when i see these kinds of changes it sort of it's hard for me to adapt to this but do you really is that is that like the main trend do you think that you know 20 years from now when i'm sitting at home you know acting like an old guy still with my cable tv do you think that the ratings will be so different. It'll just be like all streaming. Or what does the future hold for that?
1: Yeah. No. I mean, the actually the answer to that is like we we can't base it on ratings, TV ratings, right? right? That that was the, the whole basis. We're going through this now, and we're trying to look at new leagues or emerging leagues. We're trying to look at NWSL, right? The one okay. Exactly. The yes. They're on Paramount Plus. Okay. Paramount Stream Plus platform. Yeah. Does not show. We don't have ratings for that, mm-hmm. right? So we have to make these. Essentially, we have to look at all these other factors. Um, you know, engagement. We have to look. On social media, they they'll show game on Twitter every once mm-hmm. in a while. So we're just not basing it based on just ratings anymore. Um, it would help, obviously, it would help if we had that, so we can compare it to apples and, and mm-hmm. apples. Um, but like, you know, again, if you're trying to reach this young female demographic, mm-hmm. uh, that's different than everything else, and you got to be creative. It's like, okay, yeah. like, are they attracting this demographic? Then how can we reach them? Right. Um, and realizing that TV ratings just isn't that metric anymore.
0: Gotcha. And lastly what's one thing you're really excited about? You know, whether it's with your job or, you know, something you put a lot of time into. What's something just in terms of maybe the future of sports marketing or something along those lines, what's something that you really see as almost certain to happen or something you're excited that is going to happen in the way that we see some of these partnerships take place or in the future of, you know, watching sports or something along those yeah,
1: lines. Yeah, the thing, I mean, the biggest thing that you can't miss, and we're doing a whole project on this now, so two months ago I couldn't have told you a single thing about NFT besides the basics, but mm, now I've, like, right. delved into this. Um, just today, DraftKings made a big announcement with the NFL, um, and there's all of these like we we're talking about we're like okay just watching TV isn't getting people but now there's all these incentives where if I watch something or do something or interact with it I can then get something an experience or something in my hand connecting that fan mm-hmm. um, and they're getting really creative mm-hmm. with this where you don't need to be some crypto millionaire you can just buy these you know, little little things or just get you involved and then convict to other things but that really is the future um, and everyone's sort of of like figuring it out so it's kind of fun like you know again when I said like things change today like you know make this big announcement um, and then everyone has to react sort of to that but that's just the, the, you know just how you incentivize and how you can get someone to go to a concert and then get them to get some keepsake from that concert besides mm-hmm. just a ticket stub which mm-hmm. is what I used to keep um, but more importantly once you have that as the concert promoter I can then continue once I know you continue interacting with it mm-hmm. I can then reach out to you again uh-huh. um, so it works for both ways where you get something but now I can be like listen there's this other concert here Mm -hmm. since you went to the first one like I'll give you first access to this as long as you keep this and don't throw this out and you post it or you share it or you do something with Mm -hmm. it Um, so now you know, the, there's these missing pieces happening. You just have this this technology, which is still like so complicated. But like, the teams and leagues and brands are being really
0: creative with like gotcha. getting people involved and getting people connected to the brand. It's world. amazing how these new concepts are. People are still finding ways to monetize yeah. them and market them and figure out ways to get consumer spending or incentivize to spend through these new methods. Yeah. It's amazing how the industry is changing. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on and we wish you the best. Absolutely. It was was great doing this. I had fun. That's going to do it for this week in In-Depth on Sports. We thank you for listening to us. Uh, we I'm actually not 100% sure if we do have a show next week, but uh, if we do, I will see you next week. Uh, we're going to have Marlon Smith joining us to talk a little bit about the future of the NBA, play styles, all sorts of stuff like that. He's going to be joining us next week, so be sure to be in tune for that. If we are not on next week, it will be in a few weeks, so if we do not see each other... Happy holidays. I hope you enjoy your time and best of coming, best of luck in the coming year. Thanks, everybody.